How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Wild and massive applause. Yeah. Good times. It's great, yeah. Have you been, Mark? I've been well. I've been well, Dr. Joe. How have you been? I've been really well. Uh, gratitude for Thanksgiving coming up. I know it's yeah. a major theme of yours and feel yes. good Friday. It's always great. Yes, yes. The, the month of gratitude. We're going to extend that beyond the month and have hopefully the year of gratitude and then the life of gratitude. Nice. nice. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's music to my ears. And in many I ways, like that's, um, that's how we can introduce our guest for tonight, Mark. Let's do that. Today, Dr. Joe, we have a returning guest, one of our MVP guests, if I don't say so myself. We have Eugene Bereson, MD, professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He's also the executive director of the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at Mass General Hospital. He's consulted to a variety of television shows, such as ER and Law and Order SVU, and He's been a guest on the Dr. Joe Show. Welcome, Dr. Bresson. Well, thanks for having me here. Thanks for having me back. It is a pleasure. And just so people know, um, Dr. Bresson has been many, many things, including my training director and mentor way back when. Can I say how far back it was? 93. Yeah. Were you the class of 93 or did you start class 95? Class of, I thought that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, you were right. Uh, yeah, we were the first sort of combined MGH McLean class. I think we're one of the first classes. Uh, let's see. It, yes, you were because uh, it was combined in 1994 is when they came together. So, yes, yeah. your, your class was combined. Amazing. And, and here we are still friends. Yes. <laughs> and Dr. Joe, he's an author as well. He is. And a matter of fact, this is why we have Dr. Bereson on tonight, because he has authored a remarkable, remarkable book, which I'm very grateful to have also contributed to with the wonderful title, Music. Music. Yeah. Music. What a great title. <laughs> So, Gene, can you just tell us about the inspiration for the book and why now? And let's hear about it. Well, first of all, it's it's in a series, um, uh, Emerald Books, uh, and the and the uh, the senior editor is Paul Crawford from the University of Nottingham. Uh, he's professor of uh, a professor there and uh, involved with the Institute of Medicine and the International Health Humanities Networks. At any rate, he came up with the idea of doing a series on the arts for health, hmm. which includes film, photography, singing, dance, and music happens to be one in this series. So it's really, um, it was really not my idea. He really, he invited me to write this, to write this book. But that's, that's incredible because, uh, 
I've, I've enjoyed so many times uh, at our American Academy of Child Psychiatry conference, listening to you and your band. Yeah, Pink Freud and the Transitional Objects. She's <laughs> just the best. <laughs> a Pink good enough band. A, a good enough band. A good enough band. Yeah, great but, title. It, it is. But but you've had an interest in music in a long time. So tell tell us a little bit about the book and what what why people would would want to read. Well, well the book. The, the, first of all, I redefine. It's called the Arts for Health. But I really wanted to focus on well-being. Mm. And because uh, you can be dying, literally, and be in a state of positive well-being through a number of different mechanisms. And one of them is the use of music. So this uh, wonderful guy, Seligman, described uh, well-being in terms of uh, positive emotions, uh, engagement, meaning, uh, accomplishments, and then a few other elements were added, such as uh, physical health, such as the work environment, socioeconomic situations. And then I added the Dalai Lama's notion of happiness, because hmm. he said happiness, well-being involves happiness, which means a sound mind, trust, compassion, friendship, and relationships. And I wanted to kind of write about music in relationship to those elements. And then I think the heart and soul of the book was asking for all kinds of folks, doctors, folks in palliative care, folks in music therapy, everyday people, and write about how music improved their sense of well-being. And that's really, I think, the the best part of, of of the book. I mean, I also write about how music has been useful in pain management and anxiety and depression and, you know, Parkinson's disease by dancing. And there's lots of lots of great research on this stuff. But but what I really wanted was to hear of people's stories, mm -hmm. what music really meant to them in their lives and and how it got them through hard times and uh, and good times. Well, how about we hear your story then about music and how did music affect your life in that way? Well, my mom was a concert pianist. I dedicated the book to her because, uh, as, as I said in my dedication, uh, she was my inspiration, but I was no match for her fantasy impromptu. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was, um, I mean, I, I studied piano at the Philadelphia Conservatory of Music and then I was a music major in college, picked up the guitar and played at the, at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And, and what I did, since I was no competition for her, is I learned how to play by ear. So my godfather, a guy named Davey Cantor, was a stage manager in Philly. And back in those days, you know, you, you, the, the shows would, would first go on, go on the stage as, you know, at the Schubert. And if they made it, then they went to New York, they went to Broadway. So I got to go backstage for lots and lots of, uh, of uh, musical comedies, you know, Oklahoma, Fanny, you know, uh, you name it, a pal Joey. And, and, I, and um, I learned how to play standards by ear. And my mom kept saying, how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, how do you play the fantasy impromptu? 
How do you play Chopin's Revolutionary Etude? I mean, geez, you know, I can't do that. Uh, of course, she practiced five, six hours a day. Uh, but um, I learned how to play by ear and, um, and then continued the guitar and the piano since, since then. And I've been playing, you know, my whole life. And then, and then when I got, then when I, uh, when I began the Clay Center, because we do um, podcasts and we do uh, videos, I I learned how to write the music for soundtracks. So mm. all of the music for the podcasts, uh, the intro and the outro, because we do it kind of like the Dr. Joe show. We have our own music at the beginning and the end, mm -hmm. the bumpers, uh, as it were. Um, I wrote that and wrote a band, and that's the only thing we did in the studio. All the other music for our videos on our YouTube channel, um, I did the soundtrack. So I would play everything on the keys, including the sitar. <laughs> wow, that's that's pretty impressive. I I just want to come back to the by ear thing because I I had a, a patient who once said to me, you know, I used to play piano by ear, but now I've started using my hands. I thought it was. <laughs> You know, pretty interesting. He was like hanging around there. Um, so yeah, so inspired by your mom. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. And now you know, and I've always studied. Well, I, I didn't study as much. Um, I studied in high school and I studied in college, but then I just kind of flew by the seat of my pants. And then in the last ten years, I've. Um, taken piano lessons. I studied with Ben Cook, who plays for the Pops, uh, an amazing jazz pianist. And um, and I and, and Earl Pugh, who was a Berkeley grad in the same class as Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings. And so I I play, I I'm learning to to play other stuff from from Earl. So it's uh as a matter of fact, just before this, I was just sitting at the piano playing some jazz stuff that I'm just trying to learn it's, it's a different language yeah it's it's an incredible language um so well-being how do these things connect because I was talking with with Mark before you came on that every single culture in the entire world has some form of music I mean yes universal it really is universal so, there's some debate. There's some debate about that, though. You know, okay. I mean, because it's so different within different cultures, but but there's there's actually in in science nature, uh, just just in the last couple of years, there have been really cool studies on the university the universality of music, and um, you know they posit that our brains are wired for music, just as Noam Chomsky said, our brains are wired for language right mm. so so there's this there's this potential in the brain that's kind of ready uh to go with it and there's also some other things that are universal like the pentatonic scale i don't know if you've seen that video of bobby mcfarren uh in the neuroscience conference he has this audience and he shows that they can learn the pentatonic scale not not knowing what it is but he, he, they, everybody gets it like within a few minutes. Uh, and there's also evidence that, that, that the minor third um, 
is very soothing and is used and as uh, babies react more favorably to the minor third, which you would think it's it's sad, yeah. But it's 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 kind of universal with for mothers and infants. There's a lot of stuff on on how music is universal. Yeah, the pentatonic scale. I, I can see see Mark getting. I can see his face. So, what is it? The pentatonic scale is a. Do you know the piano, Mark? Yes. The pentatonic scale is the black keys. Okay. If you played only the black keys, that would be the pentatonic scale. Got it. Five five notes. And you know who was an absolute master in that? This through Irving Berlin, because I was just listening about this here. That Irving Berlin is in one of the most prolific musicians and composers ever. Um, he taught himself how to play the piano using the black notes and the, the subtlety. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. It was it was a uh, really interesting. So, I mean, certainly on on the universality of it and the scales. Doctor Brasson, I have a question for you. Going into writing this book, you probably had certain thoughts and ideas. What did you learn that you didn't expect to learn while writing this book? That's a great question. Um, well, I learned from the narratives, I learned music is especially helpful, I think, in uh, hard times. Mm. You know, uh, when one of my best friends, uh, Tony Rothstein's son, took his life by suicide and wrote a story about what he and Julian shared. And when he listens to the Beatles, or other other music that they um, that they love together, how much it means to him. Uh, and there are other. It's really this the sad stories that actually meant the most to me about music and hard times. Uh, and I think that's probably true. I mean, if you think about chain gangs, if you think about oppression, if you think about how music can kind of bring people together. Yeah. Uh, it's it's what I learned from these stories was that, you know, I mean, I begin the book with a William James quote saying, you know, um, I don't sing because I'm happy. I'm happy because I sing. Well, that's that's great. But, you know, frankly, I think music helps us the most when we're sad, when we have loss, when we... Uh, are faced with with hardship and depression. What is it about music that does that? I think it it affects the brain in a way, and it affects. See, the music. It's interesting. There are many. There are some things in the brain that are localized. Um, speech fluency, speech comprehension are two um, important ones. Uh, Certain parts of the brain that that uh, underlie, you know, um, emotion, impulse, uh, fear, you know, the amygdala. Music uses virtually all parts of the brain. It huh. uses the primitive emotional parts of the brain, it, our history, the cerebellum that that that, that helps us 
you know, with balance also helps us with beat and rhythm. And, and it uses the left brain in terms of its kind of mathematical, make, making sense kind of aspect, but it uses the right side, which is contextual and uh, woven and integrated. And it all comes together in the orbital frontal cortex, like most things that are integrated. But, you know, um, it involves the entire brain. So um, I, I think that's super. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. You know, it, it's it's so interesting from an evolutionary point of view. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because we needed to be able to respond to sound in our environment. Right, the rustling in the bush. You know, if we didn't pay attention to it, it could be a saber-toothed tiger. So we would then store that rustling in the bush in our memory parts of our brain. We'd be able to, you know, retrieve it when needed. Do, do you think, though, that, that we have developed this ability to appreciate music more than just about survival? I mean, you talk about happiness and well-being. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think, you know, for example, um, it, 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 brings people together you know it it's it has symbolic meaning you know you remember i'm sure the song that was your song with your first girlfriend mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> i'm sure you had a song just like you know in many weddings there is the the song of the couple um uh so it brings people together it also i think is instrumental in forming identity. Wait, 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 wait. Was that a pun? I'm uh, sorry. It was an unintended pun. It was a good one, though. It was a good one. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Is, 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 is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we identify with certain songs. It brings, it brings, um, it, it uh, you know, just as kind of, uh, for example, heavy metal, which I is not my favorite music, um, but nihilism, uh, death, destructiveness, you know, expressing existential angst and, and, and kind of anger. And uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, becomes, it becomes emblematic of who one actually is. Uh, and the same is true for rap. Which is more, which is really derived from you know the music of of Lead Belly and 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 line and tracks and and chain gangs and oppression and freedom from oppression and um, an expression of um, of outrage, but also that's truly poetic. Um, and you know, uh, you know Bobby Zimmerman, our poet laureate Bob Dylan. I mean, you know. The music that that he wrote in the '60s, uh, that was really fundamentally important, I think, for when I was in college, for the war against the war in Vietnam and women's liberation and the civil rights movement, um, it was truly Im important, uh, and 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 beautifully, beautifully crafted. So it it it, it has to do with 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 lots of things but i would say identity and group 
belonging are two super important things that have evolutionary value. I mean, they keep people together. I mean, what what uh, spiritual or religious group doesn't have music? Mm. Doesn't have call and response. You know, mm -hmm. um, bringing people together, uh, and uh, so it, it it it's it's vital. And I think this is all evolutionary, uh, as you were saying, Joe. Uh, but I think that it's uh, uh, um, it's super important. It's it's um, and it's important to me. But you know, uh, I really don't know anyone who doesn't like some form of music. <laughs> but some definitely like it more than others. There's no no question about that what is right. it about what hits somebody versus somebody else like you you mentioned that heavy metal right i too am not a fan never really understood it but yet people are fanatical about that oh yeah genre of music i i think what well again it, it, it's why there's chocolate and vanilla yeah. you know i mean it's it's why <laughs> people are different you know yeah. and 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 you know what's uh beautiful and creative and inspirational to one person may be very very different uh to another uh so um you know um i i don't know how to answer that other than uh you know like they say about pornography you yeah know, you know when you see it and and the same thing is true for music. You know it when you hear it. You know what really grabs you, and and you say like, man, what was that? Mm, just and you get those you. goosebumps. I mean, yeah. You know when you when you hear something that just no pun intended strikes a chord. You, I get goosebumps when I hear yeah. certain yeah certain lyrical parts. And well, what's that about? Well, it's 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 physical. It's you see, it 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 grabs you because it's both physical. It's rhythmic. Makes you want to dance. Makes you. It it grabs your emotions. Mm -hmm. It uh, it has meaning. Uh, it um, you know it, it it's. I I think it it captures so many different things. And there's another thing about it which I think is really super important, and that is is that um. Uh, you know, uh, when you're like, when you're listening to or singing music, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're never alone. Mm. Yeah. You know, so like, like when you sing in the shower, which just sounds great because bathrooms have such great acoustics, but you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're performing, so you're not alone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it, it, it uh, makes you feel uh with others mm. even even if you're just listening by yourself <laughs> I, I do admit i i love singing opera sometimes in the shower it's a, it becomes a soap opera really like, oh, my, oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but like you say even if you're listening alone you're not alone because the artist who's playing it is with you right 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 that's fascinating and then there's the whole the whole dynamic of live music and how that can how that hits even harder 
Right, right. Because live music is isn't is is a collective event. If if uh, if you're really there with the music, you're there with with other people, and everyone is kind of uh, swept away. What yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Mark, have you been to concerts when you were younger? Did you have a favorite concert that you ever went to? Or? Uh, I've been to, I love live music. I'll go to live music every single day of the week because it it hits me in that, in that way. Um, yeah, I've seen a, a number of performers who have blown me away, but it, it is amazing that sometimes when you hear a song for the very first time and you've never heard it before, it can move you in a way that, is is really special because it simply hits you in a way and it and it's funny because oftentimes you know we i would run out the day that a certain artist's uh new album was released and it would take a couple listens right it doesn't necessarily hit me right away it would it would it was actually the exception to the rule when that one song for the first time where you sit back and say what was that that just hit me. Um, yeah, music's a very important component to my life, but I haven't really thought so much about the sadness of it. It it definitely, um, it's definitely a very important part of my life, though. And and you know, sad music. Well, when you're sad, music is soothing. It's comforting. Mm. It, but also, sad music is also sad music is powerful i mean look at the blues i mean um the the blues is is also another universal form of music you know there's there's blues in jazz in rock in soul in funk in appalachian music in uh in acapella music in 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 gospel music you know Mm. just the blues is everywhere because there's something about the blues um, and about um, that aspect of music, which is probably more universal than any other genre I can think of. You know, we, we, you started talking about well-being uh, and how important this is for us to have music as a tool for that. And I just want to talk maybe about some of the, the chapter. So, one of them is how music improves well-being. So I think we've spoken a little bit around that, but how does it actually improve well-being? Well, um, it, it, it hits on the major elements of well-being. So from uh, Seligman's point of view, um, it, it uh, involves positive emotions that can come uh, from even from the blues. Uh, his his acronym is PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. Uh, positive emotions can come engagement, which is applying the skill to challenging tasks. Relationships, we've been talking about how it brings others together uh, for comfort, for support, for a collective, you know, euphoria and concerts. And the meaning, you know, um, you know, you often remember the first time, you know, uh, you've heard something, but it also has meaning in spiritual groups and families, uh, among friends, 
Uh, so it in, by putting all of those things together, uh, along with, with, you know, the Dalai Lama's concept of uh, well-being, which is, um, I, you know, I'll quote him. It says, happiness is the key to overall wellness. There are a few things that are necessary to achieve a happy life apart from physical well-being. And these include a happy mind, compassion, trust, friendship, and affection. And music brings that all together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I certainly have had many experiences in my life because I've been playing piano since I was seven. Um, and I still remember the first song I ever wrote called Cleopatra's Tune. But it has been such an important part of my life, being able to write music, write songs, being able to you know, talk about my broken heart so many times, so many broken heart songs, but also then the, the elation songs where all of a sudden this person is, is part of your life. Yeah. Um, and I think about our national anthems. I mean, I, I, I absolutely really moved and stirred when I hear our national anthem. I, I well, you know, you, you, know what's, you know what's so amazing about it? I mean, the Star Spangled Banner is not the greatest tune in the world, but one of the things that's, that's happened in sports events uh, in the last decade is, um, I mean, I used to go to sports events. Uh, I love going to sports events. And there would always be a band that would play them, okay? But now it's an individual coming up, singing it a cappella yeah. <laughs> and singing it in a very personalized, unique fashion. And it's so moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am so glad we got away from the band. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and, got, and got to and got to the human voice, which is an yeah. instrument in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I, I mean, I, it's interesting because I, I can get sort of choked up and teary just thinking about something that I have heard, some music that I've heard, and how it, it, it reminds me of the connectedness that we can have with the world. It's, it's yeah, powerful. Yes. Powerful. Yeah, and then um, ways to engage with music. That's a, another chapter heading. So how how do we engage with music? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, these chapters were kind of given to me. Chapter titles were kind of given to me, hmm. but then I got I got the freedom to kind of like write them the way I wanted to. I see. Okay. Um, so. Uh, we can engage with music in a number of ways. You know, there's listening. Uh, and I always have music on. I mean, I, I oh, in every, every, there's never silence in my office <laughs> or in the kitchen. I have speakers in every room in the house. Uh, so there's always music. Um, but um, uh, we engage, we can engage by passive listening. We can engage by getting up and moving. We can engage by dancing. We can engage by doing it with others. For example, there is never a holiday in my family where we didn't uh, hang around the piano and sing together. Mm. And in fact, I wrote about that in in in, in my my vignette because um, there always came a time when somebody would say, "All right, 
let's do it. And then we would, you know, we'd sit around the piano uh, or occasionally I'd pick up the guitar and we would all sing. And it didn't matter whether we were in tune or whether <laughs> the harmonies were like sometimes a little funky, but <laughs> it, 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 it was it was still quite the, the, the best time of the night, you know? And, and so that's a way of engaging. Uh, there are plenty of ways of engaging with music. Well, the Dr. Joe show crew used to do this uh, when we were live in studio. Mark, you want to tell Gene about what we used to do on Thursday nights? Yeah, we used to go to the local karaoke bar because <laughs> that is what we would do. And that's what I was going to say. Is, so is that the oxytocin when you're getting around the piano and everybody's smiling and participating together is that what it is that's flowing well you you obviously know something about about the brain and neurochemistry because oxytocin is the chemical that's released in our brains that connect us yeah uh and um it's it's the glue that that we all the, that connects people together and it is released um uh in you know in engaging with music whether it's karaoke or whether it's sitting around the piano or whether it's like playing guitars and singing or whether it's just, you know, singing a cappella, but it connects people together. And, you know, we human beings are pack animals. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything better that connects human beings uh, better and more powerfully than music, even if it's just playing in a drum circle, even mm. if it's not melodic, even if it's just rhythmic, <clears throat> it connects us. Yeah, it does. It taps into this this part of us. We are, we are these pack animals. When when we were doing a karaoke, we, we realized too that there were there were three types of people who do karaoke. <laughs> there was the soloist person who would go up there and just start singing there was the never alone would only sing with one person or a group of people and then honestly we found the third kind was a person who would rather have root canal without anesthesia than get up and, and be willing to sing and we realized it had to do with that vulnerability as well you know yes. because really it's with karaoke you know, when you're up there, you're not a professional singer, but there's that vulnerability. How does how does being vulnerable just help us in that way? You think? Well, I I think I think it. You know, it's amazing to me. You know, you noticed even in the in the intro, you said I was you know consulting to a number of TV shows, um, and I did a show uh, that actually I, I wrote. The, the the screenplay a little bit for uh alan alda yeah. uh uh it was about uh it's called brains on trial but um before the shoot began he would walk around in circles and circles and then the producer <clears throat> said to me don't go don't don't go over there he's he's feeling a little vulnerable now here's a guy who was an icon <laughs> of absolutely. performance absolutely. who is who is an absolutely phenomenal communicator you know but he would 
become vulnerable and the sense of insecurity and anxiety that most performers will tell you they feel. You know, I, I one of my one of my best friends was in the Royal Shakespeare for 25 years. And I would always ask uh, Robert to kind of like, oh, quote me some Shakespeare. And he would refuse <laughs> until we had enough gin <laughs> that he would say, oh, okay. <laughs> I'd say, have a band of brothers, you know? And then sure enough, it would come out and it would flow. And it was just amazing. But I think it's that kind of vulnerability. You can't imagine that somebody like, Miles Davis, or Bill Evans, or you know, or, or, or name your 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 favorite, you know, your performer. But um, there is a sense of vulnerability because you're exposing yourself when yeah. you perform. And um, whether you make mistakes or not, that's not the issue. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. And when, when, when you hear live performances, you don't realize that people are making tons of mistakes until you hear the recording back. And then you say like, oh my God, I missed that one. Well, you know, it's because it zips right by. But, but the performer is vulnerable because if you're doing it well, you're exposing the inner self, right? right? It's not just an act. If it's an act and you're not genuine, the, it's a flop yeah. and is that your experience when you're doing pink freud oh my god i'm i'm I, i'm a wreck <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I mean yeah i mean until until i get into it you know until i get into it but but usually there's, there's a huge amount of 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 or when 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 they say you know piano take a lead then there's this kind of moment of kind of like vulnerability and and uh, fear and anxiety. But but you know, most folks when they're performing, whether it's in sports or music or or giving a lecture, that need to feel amount need to feel a certain amount of anxiety and vulnerability to kind of like get them ready. There's something about the anxiety, which can, you know, the fight or flight response, which can get you prepared and fired up or make you run away. Yeah. And the best performers feel that kind of uh, fear at a level that actually enhances performance. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Dr. Joe, you had a question about his chapter. Yeah, it's called challenges for engagements in music and then how we overcome those challenges. So, Jim, what, what are the challenges that we're finding now? Look, if I asked you to, to um, uh, learn Chinese, mm. <laughs> it would be a huge challenge. Yes. Um, uh, and learning an instrument uh is extraordinarily challenging. Learning to sing is extraordinarily challenging. I mean, because oh. at the beginning, you really sound stinky. Hmm. And, and, and you really can't do what you really want to do. Um, you can't 
play what you want to play. You can't make it sound the way you want it to play. It's it's frustrating. So I think the biggest challenge, and even somebody like me who's played for a very long time, to learn jazz, to learn, this gets a little technical, that you don't build a chord on the root and the fifth. You build it on the third and the seventh. Mm-hmm. That is, it's like turning it inside out. Um, and um, if you play the guitar and you do finger picking style guitar like I do, but then you learn to play the banjo or the dobro, you have to pick inside out because banjo rolls are the inverse of playing del- Delta or Piedmont style finger picking. So uh, learning something new, especially the older you get, is incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's no doubt that, that it's even challenging to kids. I mean, why is it that so many kids say, gee, I wish I stuck with the piano or I wish I stuck with the guitar or I wish I stuck with the violin or, you know, I shouldn't have given it up. Um, I think the biggest challenge is to learn something new and to not appreciate how long it's going to take you to get there. Well, especially for, you know, if, if everything's about immediate gratification, you got to think long-term with that, which is a whole different part of your brain. Or if you're, or if you're comparing yourself, you know, for example, for me to kind of like, you know, uh, play chords like Bill Evans, I mean, you know, I mean, it, we all have our idols, you know, uh, we all have our, um, you know, to write poetry like Bob Dylan, you know, I mean, there's no, uh, it, it's the icons that we have in music to me are are just so inspirational and so unachievable <laughs> for a good reason but you know um i think the challenge is really to get to the point where it doesn't matter where i i don't i really don't want to or can't be like bill evans or oscar peterson or any one of my favorite uh, uh, musicians, uh, because um, I can learn to play good enough mm. to quote to quote Winnicott to 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 feel to feel good. Yeah, and, and that's and a challenge. To, and to be you, though, Gene. I mean, to, yeah. to play your music the way you play it in right. your style. You know, I mean, this is certainly something that that my kids have learned too is you know they're they're all they just love music they just love that that feeling about it that you get yeah and then being able to to create that and and i mean we, we have remarkable music therapies kathleen howland has been a guest on our show i know that you know her you know, oh yeah yeah music therapist um and and the application of music to so many things that we have in our behavioral health field now yeah it's it's is that one of the challenges or is there resistance to that the idea of music therapy and how we can use it to help others i think there's resistance well you know as a shrink there's resistance to all forms of therapy that aren't um uh 
kind of considered scientific. I think that that music, like art, like creative arts of all sorts, uh, when applied to medicine, um, that can't be proven in randomized controlled trials and can't be proven quantitatively are looked upon by many with skepticism. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the creative arts are extraordinarily uh, uh, healing. Mm -hmm. They're healing. Yeah. There's more. There's more to medicine than just a you know. As one of my, my my teachers told me when I was a medical student, the only, the only cures in medicine are antibiotics and surgery, mm -hmm. and that may be true. Everything else is maintenance. Well, you know, we're not we're not meant to cure. As as doctors, we're we I think our primary goal is to heal, mm -hmm. and I think one one of the essences of healing is the use of creative art. Yeah. Yeah, and being able to help someone recognize their value. I think that, that for me, what, what I have found is that every single person who's come to me on some level has felt less valuable. And we have an opportunity to rem remind them of their, of their inner music, that music that is them, unique to them, that value that they have. And I, I, I truly believe that uh, that that is one of the great gifts that that you gene have given me as my mentor because i again i, I want to just give gene the real credit we we worked together but he was my teacher and i've always always appreciated that you know and how you've helped so many people well you know what what they say what 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 my mentor one of my mentors ned castum told me you can't make silk out of a sow's ear unless you have a silk sow <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Joe, I got to tell you, you're a silk sow. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll try to figure out exactly what that means at another point, but I do appreciate it. I feel I feel that way. You know, with that in mind, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we worked on is is the I am approach, the idea that that we're always doing the best we can, but influenced by the four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and what I call the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because these domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. So Gene, given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Listen to some music that you have not uh, heard before. Hmm. Listen to something completely different. I mean, we tend to gravitate towards sameness and similarity. It's familiar. But, you know, um, listen listen to something completely different. And, you know, it's one of the advantages of, of say, Spotify. But I, I could list a number of things that I'm sure people haven't heard about. But um, listen to something that you really have never never encountered before and um and see how it grabs you and then if that doesn't grab you try something else that's different yeah, that's great that's great advice yeah we'll try that today the second truth of the i am um 
everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain. Because you know it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home or social domain. So what this means is you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Professor Eugene Bereson, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want, I want to try to influence uh, others to, um, to be themselves. But also, I want them to live, like Parker Palmer, who was uh, briefly a mentor of mine, uh, who's a wonderful, wonderful sociologist, teacher, Quaker, um, who wrote The Courage to Teach, talks about life on the Mobius Strip. If you, mobi if you take a piece of paper and you bend it in a certain direction, the inside and the outside are continuous. Mm -hmm. And if I could help people, if I could help anyone bring the inside and the outside together, that would be a great a, a a great achievement and a great a great way of influencing them that's wonderful and you have in so many ways how do we find the book how do we find music well <laughs> the distributor is 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 making a deal with the book with the publishing company so you it's pretty hard to get right now it's on amazon if you do if you just you know go to music and then Bereson, it'll eventually come into stock. Um, uh, I don't think there's a way to order it right now. Mm -hmm. You can go to Emerald Books yeah. and and read the first chapter uh, uh, and the endorsements. Uh, but um, they're telling me within the next week or two, you'll be able to order it. It's great. And I, folks, I was very lucky. I wrote to Emerald telling them I was going to have Dr. Bereson on the show and they did send me an advanced copy. So I got a chance to read the whole thing, and it is brilliant. I, I truly, truly appreciate the work that you've been doing. Dr. Preston, thanks so much for being here tonight. And folks, grab a copy of music. It will change your life. Mark, we'll see you next week. See you. Thank you, Dr. Bresson. Thank you all. <laughs>